RNMD is a show about hospital relationships from the perspective of doctors and nurses. You're very smart, and we know that you would never come to a podcast for medical advice. So obviously, call your non-podcasting doctor and nurse team if you need any medical care. Oh, and we should also mention that we don't represent any hospital at all, ever. Okay, start the thing. Hello, everybody, and welcome to RNMD, a show about doctors and nurses working together in this mad world of medicine. I'm Daniel, the doctor host. And I'm Abby, the nurse host. (laughs) It's different than how you usually do it. I know. I like to switch things up because we're sitting somewhere differently than we normally are. That's true. Where did we go? We are in a different state. What state? Of mind? You don't know where we are. (laughs) We've got a problem. (laughs) We're in North Carolina. Come on and raise up, everybody. This is where Michael Jordan went to college, right? Yeah, Charlotte, right? Oh, no. Dur- UNC Chapel Hill. Yeah, Hill, Chapel right? Hill. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. But he lives or he has an apartment at least in Charlotte. Or at least he did. I didn't even know that. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so we have a pretty cool... I'm very excited for this episode. She's always excited. I know. Which is good. You need someone who's excited on this. <laughs> Wait, so you're not. I'm very excited, okay. but I... I I'm getting pumped as we go. Okay, I'm going to pump you up. Ready? I'm going to tell you the topic. It's going to pump you up. Okay. Okay? I mean, I know the topic, but I'll pretend like I don't. (laughs) (laughs) For the bit. Okay, let's do it. Okay. Today, I'd like to talk about non-for-profit hospital executive pay. Oh, shit. Uh, Oh, shit. Doesn't that sound like it should have like glitter all over it or something? I mean, it depends how you say it. You didn't say it in a very glitter way. You're right. Wait, you you try. Today, we're going to talk no. about... <laughs> no. <laughs> Don't imitate Today, me. Today, we're going to talk about non-for-profit hospitals executive pay. Man, it sounds boring when you say it like that, but it's actually not. It's not. It's, it's more like it's an episode of like CNBC's American Greed. Yeah. On this next episode of American Greed, CEO's executive (gasps) pay. You're so right. That's exactly what it is. It's like American Greed episode, but they wouldn't ever do it because I'm sure they're all in cahoots with each other somehow, right? CNBC is in cahoots? With somebody, I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. So, okay. Why did you like this episode so much? I mean, first of all, I know you've mentioned this before. Yes, several times. Yeah. You know? I get real worked up when people are making money they don't deserve. I don't blame you. Yeah. So the reason why I guess I got caught up in this, I didn't really know much about this. And then when I did that episode with Jason about hospital administration, that's when I realized the different designation between for-profit, non-for-profit, and what that entails. And it took me down this like rabbit hole of learning. So let's take them into the rabbit hole. All right. Follow me, guys. Here we go. (laughs) (laughs) It all started. No, this is where it all started. Let me answer your question for you. COVID-19 year 2020, Mm -hmm. everyone's favorite year, Mm -hmm. around April, May, June, the trifecta months, Mm -hmm. right? You know, it's like just peaked, but coming down. You read about 
how all the hospitals are so financially strained exactly. by the COVID nineteen pandemic right. because they haven't, you know, they haven't been doing surgeries and complex procedures, and so they're becoming bankrupt by this this pandemic. Yet at the same time, the executives that work at these hospitals, namely the CEOs, which is a chief executive officer, and what a cool title. <laughs> are still getting exorbitant amounts of money. Exorbitant. Exorbitant. I mean, like, make you want to barf your guts out kind of money. Yeah. You know? I do know. <laughs> I would like that kind of money, but it just it doesn't correlate with their statement. One statement is, we're, we're financially strained, but let's give millions of dollars to our CEO because yeah. he needs it. Or she, I don't know. I haven't seen any she's. There's but. one she that I found that's making this kind of money. There's more than one she, obviously, but there's one that's like egregious. And she is a nurse, ironically. Ooh, what a badass. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, she sold her soul to the hospital devil. Wow. The corporate devil. Okay. So. Oh, just to be clear, we're talking only about nonprofit hospitals, exactly. right? Profit hospitals, kind of a different game. Different game. And we will talk about that, but that's a different episode. So we're talking primarily about non-for-profit hospitals in the U.S., Okay. So let me first tell you like just a teeny bit of history, just of what I learned and what like sort of led me down this rabbit hole. Okay. So the history of the non-for-profit hospitals, and I'm sure you guys listened, I don't want to duplicate information. So in the episode with Jason, we're talking about where the role of hospital administrator came from and how it sort of changed hands from doctors and nurses and clergy to these like MBA, these more like business type people. I don't want to duplicate that information. I just want to give a quick review. So the history of the non-for-profit hospitals, they originally started to serve the poor and the aged. And we're talking about the early 1700s, 1800s. It isn't until the early 1900s where you start to see this more of a business model. After World War II and after Medicaid, Medicare, where the government starts to get a little more involved, and then you see this change of hands. During this time, just like a charity, just like a church, just like a synagogue, the non-for-profit hospitals who originally were founded to serve the underserved communities, they were able to qualify for tax-exempt status because they are similar to a charity organization, right? That's correct. So I, I believe it's tax code 501c3. You can Google that. And that basically says that any non-profit hospital does not have to pay taxes. The only two criteria are they do not make a profit for the owner of the hospital, and also they are not allowed to lobby in Washington to perpetuate their cause or promote their cause, right? And by taxes, you mean like property taxes and, and things like income that? Income tax, income tax, right? Exactly, right. Yeah, which is a huge advantage. Huge. Huge. I mean, that's a bulk of business expense. Right, Right. That these nonprofit hospitals don't have to undertake. Right. And and the reason the government, again, gives them that designation is to help the public. Right? Right. Yes. The problem is, of course, like anything, these business people have fine-tuned their business model into a way that uses this tax code basically as a loophole. Well, before we get to the loophole, the thing that's important is with these tax benefits come certain caveats, right? Right. You can't just have these tax benefits and, you know, not have any, you know, regulations or rules to abide by mm -hmm. in order to benefit from these benefits. That was two benefits in a row. <laughs> I caught that. I was I was going to edit it out, but I won't now. No, let's keep it. Okay. It's uh, 
It was intentional. Okay. <laughs> but that's something that you know a lot about, which I think is important. Mm -hmm. But most of the time when when people have regulations, they have to follow them. Right. But we'll get into more about the, these details. I mean, it's been pretty obvious from the research Dan and I have done. And, you know, we are not experts. I'm not a health administrative expert. I'm not a tax expert. But it's pretty clear that these two rules within this 501c3 tax code, the only two things that they have to abide by, they are not. They are certainly not. And it's easy to prove. And no one as far as I can see, is making any noise about this. There's not one politician talking about it. There's a few research articles that we found. There's an opinion article from a physician in the New York Times. Beyond that, this is almost a non-issue. That's true. There's like opinion articles you can find here and there, but it's not something that's touted like publicly as a problem within the healthcare sector. Do you want me to talk about that or did you want to mention it? Go ahead. So according to the IRS, to qualify as a tax-exempt 501c3, organizations must meet these criteria. These are the two top ones. No part of their net earnings is allowed to inure to the benefit of any private shareholder or individual. This specifically includes earnings by way of profit distribution or excessive salaries. Mm -hmm. So this is clearly delineated within the tax-exempt code by the IRS. You're reading that from the IRS itself, right? Yes. Yes. And also no substantial, this is another thing, no substantial part of their activities can consist of carrying on propaganda or otherwise attempting to influence legislation. Which we know there's documentation that they are in Washington, all of these major hospital systems across the United States, Kaiser, everybody. Everybody's there. Everybody's there. Yeah. And the interesting thing to me is that, okay, we're talking about tax breaks for these large hospital systems that are supposed to serve underserved communities. The CEOs are making millions of dollars. And then we're also talking about medical debt being a leading cause of bankruptcy in our country, right? Right. Our patients are suffering from these exorbitant bills. They don't know how much they're going to be charged. They're billed after the fact. They have no choice but to get care in a lot of cases when they're critically ill. And then the money that is supposed to offset their costs is being directed to these CEOs. That is very unusual. That is, that is very, what's the word? I mean, imbalanced? It's very imbalanced. It's, it's, it should be illegal, in my opinion. It's very unethical. I think so too, because who who here has read like hospitals kind of touting that they're financially strained and going bankrupt and always. all these always constantly, Constant. but it's just there's clearly an imbalance here. There's a lot of you know shady business going on, for lack of a better word. We are told regularly, at least nursing is told regularly, that the reason why we cannot have safe staffing, which there's tons of research that shows it directly ties with poor patient outcomes if you have unsafe staffing. We are told constantly we cannot have that 
safe staffing because we are on a razor-thin margin. Yet, we look at our hospital systems with the CEOs and the administrators. It's important to point out that the CEO is the most egregious, but there's a lot of people under these people making a lot of money also. We look at these salaries, and we can see clearly that the money is there. It's just being allotted to the wrong people. That's correct. Yeah. Listen, I'm I'm not against making money. Sure having even high salaries, but when it's being done unethically Mm -hmm. and at the cost of causing financial strain and bankruptcies for, you know, sick patients and underserved people and their families, then now we have a problem. Exactly. And I think that's what really made us want to talk about this issue. Exactly. Doesn't matter. I mean, doesn't matter what political affiliation you have. I mean, you got to look at this issue you know, for its face value. Yeah. And and I think that's why we wanted to focus on non-for-profit specifically, because it is so clear. It's so clear that if you are receiving, you are specifically receiving tax breaks to offset these costs for patients, and instead you're rerouting the funds to these high salaries, which it's clearly stated in the IRS code that you should not be allowed to do. So what are some of the CEO salaries? I'm sure people are sitting in their seats like, I wonder how much they're making. Yes. Well, it's like pretty damn high. It's so bad. So we did a poll actually on Instagram and I had a lot of people send in their salaries. Now, a lot of these salaries, it it can be difficult to find this information. Obviously, a lot of these places don't want you to know, but it's, it's publicly available so you can find it. Sometimes it's buried and a lot of it is dated. So the last date that I was able to pull for some of these large hospital systems was 2017, okay? We have some data from later than that. If you can find it, go yeah, for it. Yeah, we do, but you, you go ahead. Okay. Yeah. I'm just going to list these quickly. Okay, so these are the more outlandish ones that I saw. These are all hospital CEO salaries at non-for-profit hospitals. Okay, Peter Fine, CEO of Banner Health in Phoenix, he made $25.5 million in 2017. Dan Waldermanden, special advisor. He's a special advisor. He's like a consultant, even. At Herman Health in Houston, he made $18.1. Anthony Tersigny, CEO of Ascension in St. Louis, made $13.2 million. Ken Davis, CEO of Mount Sinai in New York City, made $12.4 million. Nancy Agee, this is the nurse. She is the president and CEO of Carleton Services in Roanoke, $11.9 million. Lloyd Dean, president and CEO of Dignity in San Francisco, $11.9 million. I mean, I can go on and on. Kaiser, Bernard Tyson made $10.7. Aurora Health, Nick Turkle made $10.6. I mean, it goes on and on. Something quickly, and this is just me being very petty, I want to mention about all these people. I went through their education background because I was curious. How does one become one of these people, because when you talk to people, they'll say, well, these people are very educated, they lead, they do a lot of work. It's important to have someone very special in this position. And that's why they make this money, right? So I went through their education. Most of them had a bachelor's or a master's degree. Peter Fine, master's degree, healthcare admin. Dan Waldermanden, master's in business administration. Some of them Anthony Tersigny, Ken Davis, 
have doctorates. Ken Davis is a doctor. A psychiatrist. Psychiatrist, right? That's right. This one, Anthony Tersigny, he has a doctorate in education. Nancy Agee, bachelor's degree, registered nurse. Lloyd Dean, bachelor's degree. Bernard Tyson, Kaiser. I mean, one of the largest hospital systems in America. MBA, he has a master's, like many people do. I mean, I'm getting a master's, you have a doctorate. Do we deserve to make $12.5 million a year? I mean, deserve is a good question, but you never know what else these people did to get to that point. I'm sure there's a lot of strategic moves that they've made or connections that they've had that has landed them that job that Uh, you'll never know about. Certainly, yeah. I mean, definitely the degree helped them in the door, but that's, that's not the main factor I think, in my opinion, mm-hmm. there's you just have to get in the door somehow. But once when you're in the door, you have to look for other doors to open. <laughs> <laughs> and I think they found the golden door. Yeah, it seems like it. Yeah. Okay. So let's move on now. Like I mentioned before, there are almost no politicians talking about this. There's no regulation that's being enforced. There's no rallying cry around this issue at all. The only thing that I found was actually from Governor Cuomo. He pushed through an executive order, Executive Order 38, and this basically put a soft cap, hard cap, Basically, there was this executive order that was passed in New York State by Governor Cuomo, which is not a legislative and like a legal document. It was just an executive order, which we were talking about is not, it's not a right, law. Right, because he's not a dictator. He can't just put it. It's it's kind of a guideline or a, a re- recommendation. Sometimes he acts like a dictator, but that's a different story. <laughs> <laughs> he did this in November 2015. November? Well, I thought it was 2012. Oh, well. Am this- I mistaken? I'm I'm looking at the guidance on OP, Well, I don't think he was the governor OPWDD. in 2012 anyway. I'm mistaken, I must be. So, November 2015 okay, is yeah. what it says on their website. All right, that makes more sense. Executive order number 38. Mm-hmm. It's a very long pamphlet. You don't need to read the whole thing because no one follows it. Mm-hmm. The things that are interesting in it are that there's a hard cap outlined for executive pay of 200,000 which basically says no funds or income that comes from medicaid income could be given to executives exceeding the amount of $199,000 mm-hmm. and there's a soft cap of $199,000 also for those executives coming from other sources that are non-medicaid as well mm-hmm. but the hard cap is the real Mm-hmm. cap that is like the cornerstone of the pamphlet. Mm-hmm. It sounds pretty reasonable sure. to me, honestly. $200,000, that seems pretty reasonable. I mean, I'm not saying that's an excellent salary. I'm just saying it's reasonable that Medicaid money shouldn't exceed that for them. Sure, yeah. But that becomes confusing now because there's loopholes that could be easily made in this like equivocal like executive order. I don't know. So what did they, you read through the whole thing. I didn't quite understand. The year after they found a workaround that sounded like they were saying, well, the funds that come from Medicare, Medicaid are going to this source within the hospital, but the salary for the CEO, which we're going to make more than 199000 is coming from a different source, Right. Somewhat. I think you're talking about the soft cap, Mm -hmm. which basically saying 
basically, if you follow the soft cap, hard cap rule, executives shouldn't be getting paid more than 400000 mm-hmm. because 200 maximum from Medicaid mm-hmm. and then 200 maximum from non-Medicaid. Okay. Right? Yeah. But it's like, it's still equivocal specifically how it's to be, you know, outlined. And I think that's probably why the executive order wasn't successful. They basically, the hospital systems came back and and were trying to say, well, the salary is coming from these other sources that are not government funded, right? Right. But the problem with that is, as we all know, income is income by a business that's generated by a business. There's no way to say, well, this is coming from this place. I mean, it offsets, obviously, in other places, right? Right. So that doesn't, really track. But no one really challenged them on it. And that was kind of the end of it. And that's a big part of this issue is there's no challenging. Yeah. Nobody challenges anything yeah. pertaining to this issue. Yeah. Like like we said, there's regulations in place to be a tax-exempt nonprofit hospital, but pretty much nobody follows it. Right. It's like, and it's like an unspoken rule. Right. It's kind of bizarre. It's honestly. very bizarre. And then again, to just take us back, I mean, there are things that money could be spent on, like the offsetting patient costs so we don't bankrupt our patients just because they're sick and in the hospital, even when they're insured and they get these exorbitant bills after the fact. We could set it to unsafe staffing, like I said before with the nursing. How about we could pay some residents a little bit more instead of... Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Instead of working them to the bone. I mean, you have residents who are working 80 hours a week. They're barely getting paid minimum wage. And a lot of that money is also funded by the government because of residency, right? That's right. So, I mean... I'm not trying to be rude, but like if they're not paying you guys and the money that they are is coming from the government and they're not paying taxes and they're not really staffing appropriately so we don't have the the proper number of nurses, where is the money going besides these CEO salaries? Well, they're saying they have a lot of expenses and these expenses are absolutely, you know, draining them financially. And the only way they can stay in business is by absorbing other practices and expanding their businesses, which is what's going on. Sure. And it's made private practice physicians pretty much impossible to practice on their own. So this is something that I, through this podcast, I've heard a lot more about talking to more physicians. This is something as a nurse I never learned about. I didn't know anything about. And especially my relationship with you, because, you know, your dad has a practice. You are the one who actually told me, I mean, back way back when, every doctor would open their practice, right? And now it seems like they're more employees of the hospital. I would go out on a limb and say, I've never met any of my, I don't have any friends who are coming out of residency who are planning to go into private practice. Mm -hmm. Not even one Mm -hmm. from my medical school, from my residency. Right. Am I interested? Sure. But none of my friends have even considered it. And if you tell them that you want to do private practice, they roll their eyes like, who does that? Why? It's just so prohibitive. It's so prohibitive, the cost, and you're competing with hospital networks who have deals with the insurance companies. So basically, it's almost monopolistic. Right. They have deals with the insurance companies, and the insurance companies reimburse hospitals way more 
for the same procedures, yeah. which makes it pretty much impossible to these- To be competitive. To be competitive. Right. So these private practice physicians can barely survive because their expenses are so high. And a lot of the patients end up going to these hospital systems that provide, I guess, quote unquote, more efficient services, well, I guess. And also now, it used to be when I first started nursing, if let's just say there was, you know, Dr. Smith is the cardiology doctor, and then we admit that patient. Dr. Smith also has privileges to come and see the patient and kind of interact with the care with the doctors who are there in the hospital. Now, a lot of times that's not happening. I mean, I'll see, they'll take a phone call, they'll discuss the case, but Dr. Smith is not invited to come and round on this patient and be a part of the team when that doctor actually knows this patient probably better than anyone. That's true. Yeah. You're right. They have like pushed them out of the hospital. Absolutely. They yeah. Have. Absolutely. They have. Yeah. It's just everybody now thinks of medicine or especially physicians as employees. Right. They're no longer, you know, starting their own practices. An independent practitioner. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, basically what's being done to us is being done to you guys. You know, also, now that we're talking about this, I think it's important to mention, first of all, yeah, we came to North Carolina, and we are recording in a basement of a house that's not ours. That's true. We're surrounded by, actually, it's a very cool basement, It's very cool. But I feel like we're very, like, with this topic, we're being very conspiracy bunker-like right now. Kind of. <laughs> now that you're saying it, we're I like, guess we could do that. We're, like, <laughs> in this basement, we're like, we need to get the word about, about this issue. Yeah, nobody can see us. Yeah. <laughs> we're hidden down here. Yeah. Right? The government can't come get us down here. Is this satellite proof? I doubt it. You think they'll find us? Get your tinfoil hat out. <laughs> okay. So now I think it's important when we're talking about how physicians have been pushed out of the hospital and none of this stuff is being enforced. I think it's important to talk about how there is some small evidence that these governors, these senators, these people in political power, mayors of these large cities, they have relationships with these hospitals and the administrators and the CEOs of these large, I mean, we're talking about large hospital systems. They definitely know each other. They take meetings together. And I would be willing to bet personally, if I was in a position of political power, I might not want to piss one of these people off, especially if we're talking about maybe New York City, where, you know, the largest city, you're going to go after one of these hospital CEOs or all of them. And then what happens when you need care, your family needs care, right? Yeah. I mean, I was in personally a meeting with the president of my hospital and he took a meeting with Governor Cuomo in the middle of it, a Zoom call with him. So they definitely are talking, right? That's correct. I mean, I'm assuming that you worked in a New York hospital, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know where I work. <laughs> I do, yeah. Yeah, or worked. Worked, yeah. past tense. Yeah. More importantly, you know, like I said earlier, people getting compensated for the work that they do, whether it's millions or hundreds of thousands, is fine, in my opinion, as long as the value that they're adding to the institution or corporation or business is commensurate with the pay that they're receiving. That's a good point. What's complex about this issue is that these executives are making so much money within a nonprofit institution, which basically means that if there's money left after expenses, that's profit. And what do you do with that? 
you're not supposed to pocket it Mm -hmm. because that's profit. And in profit institutions, executives get compensated more if the overall institution get basically profits more. So how does that work when you have a nonprofit organization and increasing profits is not your goal? Right. That's that's where it becomes complex. Right. And I, I can't answer that question personally right now. I mean, yeah. And, and building off of that, I also think that it's interesting that a lot of these hospital CEO salaries that I found, part of the reason why it's complicated sometimes to find them is because it's not just straight salary. A lot of it is bonuses, right? right. And a lot of it is retirement packages too. Totally, totally. So how, like off of what you just said, if you're telling me, the nurse on the floor, that we can't even hire one more nurse on night shift because our our margins are so thin, how are you doing such a good job at maintaining this business, quote unquote, that you deserve a bonus? Absolutely. But then you ask yourself, wait, maybe they're adding some value. Maybe they're improving hospital healthcare Mm -hmm. quality. Mm -hmm. They're improving, you know, mortality rate Mm -hmm. or- Readmission. Yeah, readmission rates, decreased length of stay, all these things. Mm -hmm. But the answer to that is there's no correlation with that either. Mm -hmm. So in Journal of American Medical Association, JAMA, 2013, there was a study about this actually that showed there was no link between hospital CEO salary and a number of hospital indicators, such as mortality or readmission rates, or quality of care for that matter. So it's important to know that we don't really know what these hospital executives are doing in terms of value addition Mm -hmm. that's causing them to get such hefty salaries. We do know that there is a correlation between the size of hospital and the amount of executive pay, which is one of the biggest contributors to executive salary. Right. That's exactly right. And also just a note about, you know, their pay and and who deserves what. Again, in 2017, there's a study that shows that top executives at six of the nine largest Chicago area non-for-profit healthcare systems pocketed substantial raises. They all got raises. Their average pay hike was 37% easily outpacing the national trends and certainly outpacing doctors and nursing raises. So I don't see how anyone can say that this is ethical or fair. I'm not saying that CEOs deserve zero and that they do nothing. I'm just saying that especially when you have a global pandemic like COVID and you have doctors and nurses who put their lives on the line and some who tragically passed away, do you think that they deserve that much more, 37% in one-year pay raise over us, who a lot of people, most people did not even receive hazard pay? Yeah, that's bizarre. It's ridiculous. I, it's ridiculous. Yeah. I like this episode. I like I think it's it. interesting. If yeah. you're listening to this, I hope this is interesting for you. And if you're listening, listen to this right now. If you haven't gotten vaccinated yet, go get vaccinated, please. I'm talking about the COVID vaccine please. because we want this pandemic to end. It's already ending. But we're having these variants called the Delta variant. Now we're having the Lambda variant. Let's stop this, all right? Yeah. Go out there, get a vaccine. I don't care what age you are. Go get a vaccine. Yeah. Okay? I know you have some beliefs that may prevent you from doing it. Try to get yourself to understand how important this vaccination is. Vaccinations have historically been one of the biggest factors that have improved health among our society. It's completely changed healthcare. 
illness rates have completely dramatically dropped because of vaccines that we have created. This is one of them. Do your part and get vaccinated, please. Yeah. It's very important. You're right. right? You're so right. Yeah. We're all in this together. We're a community. It's time that we stand up to this and, and move on. I mean, we're seeing spikes all over the country now. It's just really, really disheartening. It is really disheartening. It's preventable. I, it's preventable. I mean, this is not fake. Yeah. Get out of your head. Get your head <laughs> out of your ass. This is absolutely ridiculous. It's just a little needle in your damn arm. Just go and do it. Dan's ranting now. Hopefully, no one who listens to this type of podcast ha- is anti-vax. Is sensitive to this. Is anti-vax. If you're anti-vax, you just turn it off. It's unfortunate for you. I really is. I'm so sorry. I doubt anyone who's listening to this is. I hope if if you are, turn this off right now and go to CVS and go get your Pfizer vaccine right now. Or Rite Aid or whatever. Walgreens doesn't we're, need to be. We're plugging seen. all the things. We're plugging all the things. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Moderna, all Moderna, of it. Pfizer, J and J. Yeah. Right. Yeah. R and MD vaccine. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> But seriously, please, guys, go get it. Well, right. I'll be saying it every episode, I think. Yeah, just say it every episode. It's fine. Yeah. All right. This was a short one because I think it's pretty straightforward. These guys and ladies should not be making this kind of salary while our patients are suffering the consequences. A for-profit system will not be patient-centered, period. I agree. It's complicated, but I agree. All right. That's it for us, you guys. We love you so much. Please, if you want to help us out, the best way to help us out is to rate and review us. Send us a little love. Say that you love the podcast. Give us five stars. That helps us so much. Yep. Thank you so much. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you guys so much for listening to the show. We really appreciate it. If you have any questions or comments, any topics you'd like to submit, please send them to rnmdpodcast at gmail.com. You can also send them to our Instagram account, which is rnmdpodcast, or my personal Instagram account is the nocturnal nurse. If you like the show, please like, please subscribe. Also, if you have any suggestions of how we can make this better, this is for you guys. And we'll see you again next week. Bye-bye.